are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News for the week of July 6th, 2023. My name is Gregory Haddock. For today's reading, we will be covering the following stories. Golden, where the West rides. Bike cruise participants saddle up for fun summertime rides by Corinne Westerman for the Golden Transcript. $500,000 cash bond set for Marquez in fatal hit and run case by Corinne Westman for the Golden Transcript. Jeffco Public Health gives PSA on summer fun around high water by Joe Davis for the Jeffco Transcript. Wheat Ridge City Council, new playgrounds, parking lots, and more by Joe Davis for the Jeffco Transcript. Taste of Arvada Returns by Lillian Fugle by the, for the Arvada Press. And Jeffco School Board approves more Pomona School Consolidation by Jane Reuter, special to Colorado Community Media for the Arvada Press and following up with various articles. Golden, where the West rides. Bike cruise participants saddle up for summertime rides by Corinne Westerman. Golden Knights were back in the saddle again June 27th as they donned their cowboy hats, untied their steeds from their hitching posts, and rode off into the sunset. Hundreds of locals saddled up for the cowboys and cowgirls themed Golden Bike Cruise, a summertime staple that fundraises for local nonprofits. The event, which is the last Tuesday of the month, May through September, starts at the Armory Parking Lot Garage and loops through North Golden before returning downtown. The bike cruise also features music by a local band, Golden-based food and beer vendors, and other local sponsors. Golden Community Commons, a subset of Calvary Church, hosts the event and partners with a different nonprofit each month to share revenues. For June 27th, it was the Rotary Club of Golden. For the cruises, which started about 16 years ago, raises about $3,000 a year for Golden Community Commons and about $600 each for five nonprofits. Organizers explained. The event also has a different theme each month, except for the September ride, which is always a zombie-themed one. Organizers Peter Ewers and Jill Powers said June's Cowboys and Cowgirls theme was coincidental, but saw how it aligned with Golden's history and Old West feel. We are where the West lives, Ewers said, referring to Golden's iconic arch. It's a good way to hearken to the past as we enjoy today and look to the future. Rides can draw anywhere from 150 to 300 participants, depending on the month and the weather. The May 30th event started with ominous clouds overhead, which yours and powers said might have warded off some riders, but it ended up being a nice evening. Overall, though, the Golden Bike Cruise is truly a homegrown event, drawing mostly locals for quality community time each summer, yours described. Joe and Kristen Lasser, for instance, have been bringing their kids since 10-year-old Ezra was a baby. They've also started a tradition of celebrating Isla's birthday on the June bike cruise and brought a cake and decorations for her fifth birthday to the June 27th event. It also worked out nicely that Joe's band, Derek Hall and the Possibilities, played at the June 27th event. Joe and Kristen said they return every summer because they love biking and the event's sense of community, along with its vendors and music. It's one of our favorite events in Golden, Joe continued. 
Meanwhile, the Taylor family members rode in their inaugural bike cruise after moving to Golden last month from Northern Virginia. They described how they saw a flyer in downtown shop and decided to try it out. The Taylors, parents Nicholas and Jordana, and children Clara, Devin, and Zoe all enjoy cycling. It was one of the reasons they moved to Golden, Nicholas described. So they plan to participate in these summertime bike cruises as often as possible, with Jordana emphasizing how it's an activity all of them can do together. The next cruise on July 25th will be Tropical Paradise-themed. For more information, visit goldenbikecruise.com. $500,000 cash bond set for Marquez in Fatal Hit and Run Case by Corinne Westman. Ruben Marquez, the alleged driver in the fatal hit and run outside of Golden Bar, has his bond set at $500,000 cash only. Marquez, 30, is facing first-degree murder, vehicular homicide, and multiple assault charges for allegedly driving a truck into a crowd of people outside the Rock Rest Lodge on October 9th. Adrian Ponce, 26, was killed in the incident, and at least four others were injured, including Rock Rest employees. Marquez appeared in court June 28th after a, after a recent Colorado Supreme Court ruling found that courts can't deny a defendant's bail request even if Class 1 felony cases. Because Colorado no longer has a death penalty, there are no longer capital offense cases, and defendants can't be held without bond, Judge Lindsay Van Gelden explained on June 28th. Thus, the First Judicial District Attorney's Office and other jurisdictions are expediting bond hearings in all pending murder cases. In general, judges decide the dollar amounts based on the individual cases and each defendant's flight risk, criminal history, risk to the community, etc. According to the DA's office, there is no ceiling on how high bonds can be set with some in the millions of dollars. Under the previous rules, Marquez was being held at the Jefferson County Jail without bond. However, at the June 28th hearing, Van Gelder set Marquez's bond at $500,000 cash with several conditions if he's able to post it. Along with requiring pretrial supervision and GPS tracking, Marquez can't consume drugs or alcohol, can't possess firearms, must surrender any passport, and isn't allowed to return to the Rock Rest. Additionally, Marquez must appear in person for his arraignment at 3.30 p.m. August 7th. Ben Gilder commented how, based on discussions at previous hearings, Marquez is expected to plead not guilty and have a two-week trial in January. Meanwhile, co-defendant Ernesto Avila is scheduled for a nine-day trial in late August. Avila, 26, pleaded not guilty to a felony accessory charge in February, and he's scheduled for trial from August 22nd to September 1st. He owns the truck involved in the hit-and-run, but Jeffco Sheriff's Office investigators believe he was a passenger when the truck hit the crowd. Marquez attorneys have disputed those claims, promoting the theory that Avila was the driver. My life is shattered. Prosecutors argued for $1 million cash-only bond, noting Marquez's criminal history, including one case where his probation was revoked. Van Gilder also remarked how Marquez was on parole during the October 9th incident and shouldn't have been consuming alcohol. Ponce's family members asked Van Gelder to set the highest bond possible, saying they're completely heartbroken by Ponce's death. His two children are now growing up without a father, and his family believed it wasn't fair that Marquez had be allowed to return to a relatively normal life when their lives have been ruined. After hearing how Marquez hoped to make bond and see his daughter, Ponce's mother described how she now has to visit her son in the cemetery. He has destroyed my whole world, Ponce's mother said of Marquez. My heart is broken. My life is shattered. I just want the highest bond possible, so hopefully he can't even make it. However, Marquez's defense attorneys reiterated how even though the case is moving forward, he hasn't been found guilty or pleaded guilty to any charges. Thus, they requested a $100,000 cash or surety bond. 
There's a significant possibility that Mr. Marquez isn't guilty of anything, one of his attorneys said. If he's not the driver, he's not guilty of any of the present charges. Marquez has family locally who can vouch for him, including giving him a stable job and a place to live, the defense described. He's also trying to get visitation rights to see his daughter who lives nearby, saying he's motivated to be in her life. He's a very principled, calm man who doesn't intend to harm anyone, his attorney continued. He'd never take the opportunity to run and have his family be bankrupted by that decision to pay his bond. Van Gelder shared with everyone in the courtroom how she had, quote, the difficult task of determining bond in a class one felony case, which was now, which was new for her. But weighing all the arguments both sides had presented along with the Ponce family's comments, she determined $500,000 cash was sufficient. Jeffco Public Health gives PSA on summer fun around high water. By Joe Davis. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration predicted a wetter than normal June. In fact, the agency predicted that Colorado wouldn't experience its usual summer drought. After enduring a month of hailstorms and monsoon-like rains, the Jefferson County community now must navigate summer activities in high water levels. The usual tubing, swimming, boating, and other water activities are not prohibited. However, the Jefferson County Public Health Department wants you to remember a few rules to stay safe when engaging in higher water levels. Here are some reminders. Resources and warnings from Christine Billings, Director of Epidemiology, Planning, and Communications at Jefferson County Public Health. Stay away from fast-moving waters. Fast-moving water may seem ideal for tubing, kayaking, and other activities. However, Billings warned that the high waters, such as those of Clear Creek, can be dangerous. According to Billings, you should avoid camping, picnicking, and parking near fast-moving water. Avoid any areas that have already, already have high or rushing water, as these can flood quickly, Billings said. She added that conditions can change quickly. She urged people to keep pets and kids away from fast-moving water, as they can be swept away easily. Don't attempt to drive into six inches or more of water. Six inches of water does not seem like a lot, but according to Billings, that is more than enough to sweep an entire car away. Do not ever drive into standing water as cars can be swept away in far less water than one would expect. Six inches to a foot, she warned. In addition, underneath water, roadways can be eroded or damaged, so driving could be impeded by unseen hazards. Billings urges drivers to abandon their cars if the car stalls in the water and move to higher ground. Put the entire family in life jackets. Billings urges families to bring along flotation devices and life jackets when they plan any activities around Jefferson County waterways this summer. Even small amounts of water, of swift water, can make you lose your footing, Billings said. This is especially true for adults and kids. Bring some kind of flotation or life jacket for the entire family to be safe. Be aware of debris floating along. A tree branch may seem harmless, but the rushing water adds force, and the water may hide the size of the debris. For those reasons, Billings said to stay on alert for debris in high water areas. Billings referred to the National Weather Service website for further precautions. There, the NWS warned people to avoid floodwaters altogether. Standing water hides many dangers, including toxins and chemicals, the website said. There may be sharp objects under the water or the road could have collapsed. Assess waters carefully before entering. Get immunized. Immunized. According to Billings, now is the time to make sure that your immunizations are up to date before you go out to play in local waterways. Quote, all immunizations, including tetanus, to help mitigate the risk posed by debris, debris in a flooding situation, Billings said. Stay alert. Billings urges Jeffco residents to sign up for the lookout alert system to stay informed of flash flooding, especially after such a wet June. 
quotes the lookout alert is the official emergency notification system for our county as well as our neighbors broomfield and westminster billing said residents can sign up to receive critical notifications about emergencies near them in addition to signing up for alerts billings advised jeffco residents and visitors to watch the weather when there's rain or storms in the forecast avoid any areas that have already had have high or rushing water, as these can flood quickly, she said. Summer fun is possible, despite all the additional water that Jefferson County is experiencing this year. Just take the proper precautions to keep the entire family safe. For more information, check out the Jeffco Public Health Flood Information page. We Ridge City Council, new playgrounds, parking lots, and more by Joe Davis. The Wee Ridge City Council met on June 26th for a regular session. Here are the actions that will impact the community soon. The Rec Center will get a new parking lot. The Wee Ridge Recreational Center will receive a new parking lot. The council approved a resolution to award Sunland Asphalt and Construction of Littleton, Colorado, the contract. According to the resolution, the parking lot has been deteriorating because of soil issues since its opening in 2020. Sunland's bid will cost the city $485,972. According to the resolution, the Recreation Center will shut down between August 21st and 27th, 2023 for repairs. In case of emergencies, the city requires Sunland to finish work by September 29th, 2023. For more information on the contract, Sunland's bid, and more, see item 1A on WheatRidgeSpeaks.org. Anderson Park gets a new playground. The city received a portion of the sale of the Denver Broncos Football Club in 2022. Since then, the city has been vetting projects to fund with special attention on those projects, which will impact Wee Ridge kids. During the Monday meeting, the council approved funding a new playground at Anderson Park. The resolution appropriates $384,662.99 to game time. The company will install the new playground at Anderson Park. According to the game time proposal, some of the parts will take up to 18 weeks to ship. This means that the playground will not be ready for the summer season, of course. For more information about game time, the sale proceeds, or the new playground, check out item 1C on WheatRidgeSpeaks.org. Wheat Ridge and a Jeffco Housing Authority focus on the Ives. The Ives is considered a transit-oriented housing community on 44th and Wadsworth and Wheat Ridge. It's affordable housing overseen by Foothills Regional Housing, a Jefferson County Housing Authority. During the council meeting, the city council approved $1.9 million for the Ives. The funding is $1,970,630 in private activity bonds that the city can assign. The bonds are meant to stimulate jobs and help expand the community, according to the resolution. Assigning the bonds to Foothills Regional Housing for the Ives does satisfy the bond's purpose. Expect more information on how the funds will be allocated in future meetings. For more information, see item 2 on WheatRidgeSpeaks.org. July is officially Parks and Recreation Month. Mayor Bud Starker declared the entire month of July 2023 Parks and Recreation Month in Wheat Ridge. The proclamation recognizes the benefits that the Wheat Ridge Parks and Recreation Department brings to the city. The proclamation recognizes the benefits. Also recognizes that the U.S. House of Representatives recently made the same designation. For more information, see WheatRidgeSpeaks.org. Other activities from the council meeting. Parking requirements for affordable housing approved. Wheat Ridge reduced the parking requirements on deed-restricted affordable housing units. Doing so eliminates another barrier to expanding affordable housing in the city. 
daycare zoning changes approved. The zoning changes to expand the daycare options available to parents in the city. The approved ordinance now allows daycare centers in areas zoned neighborhood commercial and restricted commercial. Other changes were made to update the language on the ordinance as well. According to the ordinance, the change will significantly reduce barriers to child care in Wheat Ridge. Watch the entire council meeting on the Wheat Ridge YouTube page. Taste of Arvada Returns by Lillian Fugli. If you're looking for a new restaurant and want to try them all but don't know where to start, look no further than Taste of Arvada. Taste of Arvada is an annual event bringing together all the food, drink, and live music Arvada has to offer. Planned by the Arvada Chamber of Commerce, this year's event will feature more than 50 local restaurants, craft breweries, and non-food vendors. This year's Taste of Arvada will be from 6 to 8 p.m. July 13th at the Apex Center with VIP early access at 5 p.m. Tickets are available through the Arvada Chamber of Commerce websites. As Arvada's food scene constantly grows and evolves, we continue to add new and exciting restaurants to the Taste of Arvada mix, said Samantha Geerds, Vice President of Member Services and Events for the Arvada Chamber of Commerce. This is the only event where you can sample so much of what Arvada has to offer, added Geerds. Not only delicious food and beverages, but local music, artisans, and businesses. It's a must-attend event for anyone who lives in Arvada or loves coming to visit. Jeffco School Board approves more Pomona School Consolidation by Jane Reuter. The Jefferson County School Board unanimously approved the consolidation of Westminster's Moore Middle School and Arvada's Pomona High School. Moore Middle School will close and Pomona will become a 6-12 through 12 grade facility with the start of the 2024-25 school year. Principals of both northern Jefferson County schools located about a mile apart proposed the plan. They described it and the changes that will come with the merger as a vision for, quote, a thriving 6-12 through 12 secondary experience. District leadership praised those who led the effort during the June 22nd board meeting. The consolidation is among several school closures planned district-wide due to declining enrollment. But unlike those district-initiated proposals, the plan for the Pomona-Moore merger came from leaders at the two schools. This is a great example of an idea that came directly from the community to solve a challenge they feel every day said Lisa Rilau, Jeffco Public Schools Chief of Strategy and Communications. They wanted to get ahead of the district in terms of coming up with their own solution. Both institutions have seen enrollment steadily decline. Pomona's enrollments has dropped by about 15% over five, year, five school years, and Moore's by about 50%. In fact, Moore will be the Jeffco School District in the 2023-24 academic year. Incoming Moore Middle School Principal Tamson Stokes, currently Assistant Principal at Golden High School, will oversee Moore's final year. She steps in for outgoing Principal Brenda Fletcher. Stokes expects the last year will be both exciting and bittersweet. Regardless of why, Having to close a school is challenging for all involved, she said. Given the decreasing enrollment over the past years, transitioning Pomona into a 6-12 through 12 school is a viable solution for the articulation area. But it's just still a hard thing to do. This year's 8th graders have the opportunity to go to Pomona for some of the electives. And the following year, there will be more opportunities for students to engage with older students in some sort of mentorship, she continued. As students continue from middle school grades to high school grades at Pomona, they may also be able to earn college credits and focus their studies in a particular career field. Our intention is to be able to offer a more enriched experience for middle school age students than they would have in a traditional middle school, Stokes said. Stokes also wants to pay tribute to Moore Middle School in its final year. The school has been part of the community since its construction in 1978. 
This is a big transition for both the students, staff, and the community, she said. I want to celebrate the history of Moore and also make sure students have a good experience this year, regardless of the change that's coming. To make Pomona a 6th through 12th facility, plans call for creating a 6th and 7th grade wing, separate from the rest of the school population, and adding a drop-off area for those younger students who don't yet drive. The cafeteria will also be expanded to accommodate 6th through 9th grade students who, unlike high school students, likely will eat lunch on site. Cost estimates for the work are $1.8 million to $2.5 million. Rilau said the district likely could allocate about $1.8 million in unused funds originally designated for more improvements to the work at Pomona. Additionally, combining the two allows the schools to maximize resources, enhance opportunities for all students, and save an anticipated $1.1 million annually. District officials don't yet know the future of the building now that now houses Moore Middle School, but said it will follow the property disposition process. Through that process, Jeffco school leaders will ask a diverse group of stakeholders to help determine the best use for each school that closes. Idaho Springs receives $2.4 million grants toward transportation to hub. By Deborah Swearingen. Idaho Springs has received a $2.4 million federal grant that will be used for planning and designing a downtown transportation and mobility hub meant to improve safety and accessibility and address traffic impacts in the city. It's the best news we ever could have hoped for. Idaho Springs Mayor Chuck Harmon said. Among other things, the project includes a roundabout at exit 240 of Interstate 70, a multi-level parking structure and pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure, including a connection to the Clear Creek Greenway. It will also include Idaho Springs Minor Streets Redevelopment Project, formally set forth in late 2021 when the city approved a downtown plan to guide improvements for the next 15 to 20 years. The plan is also heavily influenced by takeaways from the Minor Street Marketplace, a pedestrian mall enacted during the pandemic to support economic recovery in the city. While officials say the project is vital for Idaho Springs, it will impact much of the state given Idaho Springs location along Interstate 70, a major thoroughfare. This will be a really important amenity for the citizens of Colorado, Harmon said. This is actually a good way to lessen the emissions from I-70 since we're going to promote electric vehicle charging and public transportation. The grant funding is available through the Department of Transportation's Rebuilding American Infrastructure with Sustainability and Equity, RAISE, Discretionary Grant Program which invests in road, rail, transits, and port projects across the country, according to a news release. The November 2021 Bipartisan Infrastructure Law increased funding for these grants. Earlier this year, Representative Joe Neguse read a let, wrote a letter to U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg in support of the project and the city's grant pursuit. This project would also address historic impacts related to the construction of Interstate 70 in the city, the Goose wrote in the letter. The new roundabout will ease driver deceleration as they exit the high-speed interstate and enter the low-speed residential and commercial areas of downtown Idaho Springs, as well as improving access to the city's historic commercial district. Harmon said the grants would have been far less likely without support from the Colorado Department of Transportation and backing from officials such as Neguse, Governor Jared Polis, and Senators Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper. The support is overwhelming, Harmon said. My hat's off to staff in Idaho Springs. They really worked hard, he added. Idaho Springs City Administrator. Andrew Marsh previously said they expected the project to cost around $40 million with the transportation upgrades and water and sewer work included in that estimate. The raise grants will help offset some of that cost, and the city has applied with a, for a separate raise grant to assist with the construction costs, Harmon noted. It hopes to begin construction in about two years. 
Homelessness Pushes Out to the Colorado Foothills and Denver Suburbs by Alan Guianet, CBS News, Colorado. In an RTD lot next to an open power outlet, they made their home. Carrie Vernon and her boyfriend were living by a power box near a light pole in the green grass. There was a pile of things, including suitcases and clothes, covered by a loose tarp. But it hadn't been raining. Missed the bus that last three days because only three buses that leave here in the morning and three that come here in the afternoon. So if you missed them, three buses, you're stuck here, she said. They had come to Evergreen to get away from the city. Denver, I will never stay down there, she said. It's like once the sun goes down, it's crazy. Crime and drugs and alcoholism among the homeless population are a worry. We've had a lot of stuff stolen. We've started over like seven times because all of our belongings are gone. All over the metro area and foothills, homelessness has been spreading out. In Jefferson County, many of the homeless are originally from the night, from the area. There are no year-round overnight shelters in Jefferson County, so people either create their own shelters in places like parking lots or open spaces, or head into Denver where there is overnight shelter. But during the day, many return. They wind up coming back, and they're afraid. Because it's too overcrowded. It's overcrowded, they say, and there's more crime in general, said Karen Cowling, director of Mission Arvada at the Rising Church. They prefer to be in the environment where they're used to in a place where they feel safer. Originally, Mission Arvada at the Rising Church was asked by the city to help provide services to a growing homeless population. Mass transportation helps people get back and forth from the city and is part of what made Arvada attractive to people experiencing homelessness. The transit is right here. The parks and open space areas and restaurants, and it's a desirable place for people to be homeless and otherwise, said Cowling. More and more people are seeking refuge here and in places like Lakewood and even Evergreen. For the last five years, I would say people are coming out into the suburbs, said Cowling. Vernon and her, friend boy, her boyfriend moved from Florida where crime was a problem as well. My older son moved here and he was like, Mom, come and then check it out, she explained. He lives in Broomfield where he's concerned about his mother's situation. He worries about me all the time, said Vernon. His wife's like, he worries about you from the moment he wakes up until he goes to sleep. Now with more family news, she says she's thinking about finding housing and work. My youngest son's going to have a baby. I just want a normal life back. In the past, she has worked doing housekeeping and as a 7-Eleven clerk, which she says was her favorite job. With the help of Evergreen Christian Outreach, she now has ID again. They got my ID for me now so I can get a job because I lost all my birth certificate and everything back. But now I'm slowly getting it all back. Vernon and her boyfriend, who does not come out of the shelter to talk, plan on getting to the bus in the morning to go down to Denver for services. In Arvada, homeless people collect in the area around the train station. Some are in agitation to businesses. Those with mental health problems can be intimidating and hard to shoo away. Cowling says the cost of housing and need for services leaves people on the streets who sh should not be as costly in other ways. Our economy and just the state of our situation in terms of not having enough mental health services and not having enough rehab and drug and alcohol treatment. Recently, the mission has been under pressure to move from Old Town due to a belief that offering services attracts a homeless population, which has increased in recent years. We are trying to advocate for our clients that are experiencing homelessness, but we are also trying to work with the city and the community and make sure that our area is clean and orderly. So we're kind of the balance. Clients served by the mission have to follow rules. Not all do in our band. Not providing assistance, she says, would mean only more people without services, not fewer people dealing with homelessness. 
Oh, no, 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 absolutely not, end quote. On the morning after talking about their situation at the Evergreen Park and Ride lot, Carrie Vernon and her boyfriend slept in, unwilling to come out of their enclosure to talk. The 740 bus came and went. They were still there. Colorado Community Media and CBS News Colorado share stories as part of a news gathering partnership. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News. My name is Gregory Haddock. Your regularly scheduled program is not available at this time. Please enjoy this special broadcast on AINC. Thank you for joining us for Denver Metro News. My name is Dave Dell. Today, I'll be reading articles from Denverite and Westward. From Denverite, I'll be reading, Denver home sales plummet far beneath industry predictions as median home price reaches $600,000 by Kyle Harris. And, Former Republican candidate and bankruptcy attorney Brad Dempsey takes the helm at tattered cover, for now. Also by Kyle Harris. From Westward, I'll be reading, Club Q Shooter Takes Plea as Victims Demand Money Raised by Colorado Healing Fund, by Katie Cheshire. And, Denver Will Clear Low-Level Arrest Warrants at Saturday's Fresh Start, by Benito L. Kelty. I'll finish up the hour with other articles from Westward. These first two articles are from Denverite. Denver home sales plummet far beneath industry predictions as median home price reaches $600,000 by Kyle Harris. Denver realtors had a rough spring in what's normally a high point for home sales. The number of homes on the market in June was lower than anybody expected at 6070 Still, there have been fewer on the market in recent years, and inventory is up more than 16% from May. In part, the sluggishness comes from a drop in new listings, as homeowners hold off on selling. The primary factor driving this trend is the disparity between sellers' existing mortgage rates and the prevailing market rates, according to realtor Steve Dennelly of the Denver Metro Association of Realtors' latest market trends report. High interest rate on mortgages in 2023, between 6 and 7%, have kept many people out of the market. The industry hoped rates would drop closer to 5%, but they're nearing 7% again, offering home buyers little hope that the trend will change much by year's end. All of this means fewer sales. The number of closings has dropped more than 21%, leaving the industry, which underestimated how few sales would take place, uncertain about the months to come. The current median home price, including both houses and condos, duplexes and other multi-unit properties, is $600,000, down more than $11,000 from this time last year. Those prices are expected to drop slightly by the end of 2023. Bidding wars were down considerably, noted realtor Libby Levinson-Katz, who chairs the DMAR Market Trends Committee. One reason bidding wars are down is because buyers are far more discerning. They want to negotiate and feel as though they are getting a win in a landscape with rates hovering around 7% and construction costs soaring. Because of those high construction costs, homes in disrepair are languishing on the market, she said. Buyers want homes that are cl as close to perfect as possible in direct relationship to price. Former Republican candidate and bankruptcy attorney Brad Dempsey takes the helm at tattered cover, for now, by Kyle Harris. Bankruptcy attorney Brad Dempsey, who ran as a Republican for Ed Perlmutter's seat in the 7th Congressional District but failed to collect enough signatures to make the 2022 ballot, will take over as Colorado Independent Bookstore Tattered Cover's latest interim CEO. Dempsey, who has not been a major player in state politics, failed to collect enough valid signatures and then sued Secretary of State Jenna Griswold for a slot on the ballot, arguing her ruling was wrong. The suit did not work, and he did not appear on the ballot. A seasoned bankruptcy and restructuring attorney, Dempsey has been working on helping Tattered Cover with its financial woes. 
The half-century-old company has suffered serious economic blows in recent years during leadership transitions, boycotts over how it handled the Black Lives Matter movement, worker discontent, and a pandemic that has shaken retail. Dempsey acknowledged the company's financial troubles to the Denver Business Journal, which first reported the news of his hiring. He did not respond to immediate requests for comment from Denverite. He'll be taking over day-to-day -day leadership operations from Margie Keenan, the chief financial officer, who took over day-to-day -day leadership but did not assume the CEO title after then-CEO Kwame Spearman entered the highly competitive Denver mayor's race. Spearman's time in the position was marked with initial hope and then controversy as complaints from workers rolled in. Spearman, who professed a law and order politic, drew criticism from customers as he was running for office. Longtime progressive shoppers threatened boycotts over right-of-center positions he took during the race. At the same time, an anti-vaccine author falsely tweeted the store was not carrying her book, a claim former Republican gubernatorial candidate Heidi Ganahl amplified, causing threats of boycotts from the right. In the last weeks of the general election, Spearman withdrew his candidacy after securing a spot on the ballot to support second-place candidate Kelly Bro. Spearman, who left his role at Tattered Cover soon after, is currently running for a Denver School Board at-large seat. Dempsey's hire suggests the Board of Directors, a who's who of the city's business establishment, is committed to quickly turning finances around and addressing debt to publishers. A quick look at the Tattered Cover Colfax branch's shrinking collection of books shows just how dire things have become for the legacy store that has championed the First Amendment, hosted some of the world's greatest authors, and has been a reliable place to find hard-to-get books, until recently as the stock on the shelves has dwindled. Book lovers citywide will be closely watching Dempsey to see if he can save the business, something Spearman promised to do when he took over. The following articles are from Westward. Club Q Shooter Takes Plea as Victims Demand Money Raised by Colorado Healing Fund by Katie Cheshire. On June 26, just over six months after a shooter killed five people and injured 17 others at the Club Q nightclub, the killer pleaded guilty to five counts of first-degree murder and 46 counts of attempted first-degree murder. Club Q is a gay club in Colorado Springs, and Anderson Lee Aldrich also faced bias-motivated crimes charges. Aldrich pleaded no contest to those charges. There is still a federal investigation that could lead to hate crime charges with a possible death sentence. For now, Aldrich is serving five consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Adriana Vance is the mother of Raymond Green Vance, one of the five killed on November 19, 2022. She says that she's glad the situation was resolved with a plea agreement rather than a trial because now she can retrieve her son's belongings. And it's not like any court process could fix what Aldrich did, she notes. At the end of the day, it still doesn't bring my son home. John Arcidiano, a bartender who was working at Club Q that night, agrees. Despite the sentence, there was no formal apology from Aldrich or real closure for those impacted. That was the overall general consensus that most of the survivors got, Arcidiano continues. It was just not the ending we were all looking for, the ending that we expected. Both Vance and Arcidiano addressed the shooter in court on June 26th. I wanted him to hear my voice, Arcidiano says. One of the statements I said was, Mr. Anderson, just know that you have not won. This has made me want to be stronger, prouder, and louder as a person in the LGBTQIA community. But the plea isn't the end for everyone who was affected, Arcidiano acknowledges. They still need to process their traumas and heal. And as they do that, they're still pushing the Colorado Healing Fund to release money collected for them after the shooting. The Healing Fund is a nonprofit organization kick-started by the Colorado Attorney General's office when Cynthia Kaufman, who is now CHF's board chair, was Attorney General. Starting in 2018, 
It's been activated for mass tragedies in the state to collect funds for the victims of mass shootings and then work with partner organizations to distribute them. But survivors and family members of those who were killed in shootings ranging from the 2021 Boulder King Super shooting to the Club Q incident in November of 2022 say that CHF's process is invasive and overly cumbersome as they deal with the grief and trauma of these tragedies. At first, Vance says, the help came quickly. She lives in Colorado Springs, and funds were immediately available to fly family members in from places like Mexico and Chicago to attend Raymond's funeral. Since then, however, she's had a harder time accessing money that she really needs. Adriana and Raymond had split the rent at their Colorado Springs apartment, so she applied for rental assistance to cover her son's half, as well as some of the wages she lost after missing work when her son was killed. She says that because aid was delayed for months, she narrowly avoided an eviction notice. From my understanding, they were going to collect this money, they were going to dis disperse it to the people who needed it to be dispersed to, and we were going to move on, she says. Then it comes out that that's not the case. They're trying to find ways to keep the money. They're raising fees, making you submit proof. I don't understand that part. Late last year, CHF had caught flack for taking 10% of donations to cover administrative costs before an anonymous donor stepped up to cover those costs for the Club Q response. Kaufman points out that the paperwork survivors are required to file comes from the partner organizations with which CHF works to disperse funds. The documentation is important, she says, because CHF needs to make sure those claiming aid are actually victims, and the organization needs to properly account for what happens to each dollar. In the case of Club Q, the partners are the Colorado Organization for Victim Assistance and the Community Health Partnership. And there were three or four people who claimed they were at Club Q that night but weren't, Kaufman notes. We feel that it's incumbent on us to do a good job of assuring that the money gets to the right people, she says. Vance and Arcidiano agree with that principle. Vance says the CHF process was very secure. But for those who are really impacted, the requirement to divulge every aspect of their finances and prove they need what they need just doesn't make sense, they add. They believe survivors and victims should simply be given the money and trusted to make the right choices about how it's used. It's like these people do not understand that everybody's going through their own grieving process, Vance says. Then we have to be going to different locations, to go speak to different people, to talk about how these people are not giving us what we're owed. Club Q victims have held multiple press conferences calling on CHF to release funds to them without further delay. The most recent was on June 20th at Colorado Springs City Hall, as rumors were flying that the shooter had taken a plea. Three days later, CHF announced a new disbursement of $811,400 to the Club Q victims. It had previously dispersed just over $2 million of the $3.2 million collected. It's now holding approximately $300,000 in reserve for intermediate and long-term needs for victims. According to Kaufman, the timing of the disbursement, coming right after the rally and right before the plea, was a coincidence. It had been in the works for a period of time, and I'm happy that there's a plea deal at the same time, she says. Arcidiano says the $800,000 disbursement felt like a win, but that the $300,000 CHF is still holding onto seems excessive and he doesn't want to see any of those funds going to a resiliency center like the one created in Boulder after the King Super shooting. Arcidiano was hit with shrapnel during the Club Q shooting, but the deeper wounds are the mental ones he sustained from hearing screaming and seeing his friend Derek Rump die. From the recent $800,000 disbursement, Arcidiano will receive funds for lost wages as well as therapy and money to help him relocate from Colorado Springs, where he says he no longer feels safe. He's the general manager of a melting pot in the Springs. He hopes to work at another location of the chain after he moves. Survivors will receive checks from this latest disbursement early next week, according to Kaufman. Vance says the wait for money has been difficult. After the initial disbursement that helped family fly in for the funeral, 
About two months passed before she received help again. It's a terrible experience, she says. To say that they want to collect money, accept donations for the families and the survivors, and then turn around and we have to pretty much beg for a dollar. She adds that she's exhausted from the work she's had to do to access money raised in her son's name. Regardless of how I feel emotionally, mentally, physically, I have to get up and leave my house to go and fight for something that is already supposed to be for us, Vance says. Because my son is not here anymore, he can't speak for himself. So I have to be the one to be his voice. Arcidiano says he knows other Club Q survivors who are doing worse than he is mentally and financially. So even though advocating for the money is stressful, he wants to step up for others who need it. The community the survivors have built together helps. They have a Facebook group and had a six-month reunion to mark the occasion. It's been somewhat of a healing therapy for me to just be around other people that are going through this just to be able to be connected with the people that my son was around in his last moments, Vance says. She will always remember Raymond as a great big brother who was kind and loving, wanting to help anyone who needed it. Although she's found some of his spirit in the community of survivors, it's been bittersweet, she says. She wishes she had met them for a different reason. Vance advises anyone impacted by a mass tragedy to have someone close to them start a fund rather than rely on a system that could be slow or create large accounting burden. Kaufman says that CHF will review the lessons learned when it ends its ongoing Club Q response. We are going to do a debrief with our partners, with our board, the advisory group that assisted us in Colorado Springs, and walk through the things that happened and what we would do, if anything, differently, she notes. The money held in reserve will be used for ongoing needs related to emotional and mental health, as well as any potential physical complications that could still arise, including housing adaptations precluded by certain injuries, she says. Funds can also be used to bring families out for the anniversary of the shooting or important moments in the lives of those who were killed, such as birthdays. To access those funds, people need to request them through their community partner, whether that's COVA or the Community Health Partnership. Arcidiano has learned that community counts most when tragedy strikes. I have changed immeasurably since I started this journey, he says. It's brought me closer to my community. It has made me stronger with my community. I have a better understanding and a better sense of what it is to be an LGBTQIA affiliate and somebody in the community. The pain will always be there. That will never change. That pain will always be there. But you need to keep moving even when it feels like you're stuck in the same time, the same moment, and the same place when it happened. Denver will clear low-level arrest warrants at Saturday's Fresh Start by Benito El Kelty. Imagine being pulled over for a speeding ticket, then ending up in cuffs and behind bars because you didn't know you had an active arrest warrant. Or maybe you're one of those Denver residents who's already aware that you're on the cops' radar, but you avoid going to court for fear of being thrown in jail or losing your job. You and other such scoff laws can rest easy for a day, at least, thanks to the city's first-ever Fresh Start event this Saturday, July 8th, at the Denver Assessment Intake and Diversion, AID, Center at 1370 Alati Street. From 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. tomorrow, people will be able to come downtown to clear any low-level arrest warrants that they already know about or simply find out whether they have any, without the risk of being tossed in the clink. The city and county of Denver will be resolving warrants for misdemeanors, Denver city code violations, and probation violations, which often fly under the radar and cause residents to stay away from authorities and court proceedings, despite the fact that these crimes carry lesser punishments. That's scary for someone, acknowledges Carolyn Tyler, Fresh Start spokesperson. Someone, someone may not even know that they have an active warrant, and then they get pulled over for something else and find their day has radically changed. For other people who know they have an active warrant, a lot of people, unfortunately, go into the shadows. We don't want people in the shadows. We want people to come out of the shadows and do the right thing, clear their warrant, resolve their case, and get back on track. 
A group from Denver Pretrial Services will be at this inaugural event to determine whether warrants are eligible to be cleared. Individuals will also be able to talk with defense attorneys and a Denver County judge will be present. Say an unknown warrant comes up, maybe from a judge issuing an arrest for not appearing in court after failing to pay a ticket and some court-ordered fees, or perhaps for violating probation. The subject of the warrant will be able to talk to the judge and possibly resolve the situation. And if a warrant isn't eligible to be resolved, the individual will be allowed to leave. No arrests will be made, regardless of eligibility, Tyler says. Neither felonies nor domestic violence offenses will be cleared at the event, according to officials. Warrants also won't be cleared if they are for violating Colorado's Victims' Rights Act, which protects victims of violent crimes from intimidation, harassment, and abuse. In addition to basic misdemeanors, people will also be able to potentially resolve warrants for violations against Denver City codes, like defacing property, curfew violations, disorderly conduct, disturbing the peace, trespassing, open alcohol container violations, and non-alcohol traffic violations, among other things. The offenses must be misdemeanors or city code violations that happened in the city and county of Denver. The types of warrants that are eligible for clearing run the gamut of possible charges. It's not that we expect to have a groundswell of this kind of offender or that kind of offender, Tyler says. It'll be across the board. People who are on probation and report to either a county or city court in Denver can also potentially clear any warrants caused by violating the terms of their probation, which can include failing to report to their supervising officer or missing court-ordered payments. The judge present at the event will decide how the case can be resolved, whether by paying a fine or setting a new date to appear in court. Warrant resolution will be on a case-by-case basis, Taylor, Tyler says. The idea of the Fresh Start program is to ultimately get you back on track, either with your case at a specific court or if you've fallen off with probation, she tells Westward. There are so many cases that are just languishing, she explains. They can't advance. They're just open and on the books with no activity. So we can get the person accused of the crime to appear in court or have their case resolved some other way. Tyler advises that people bring some kind of photo ID and the case number for their outstanding warrant, if they know it, to the Fresh Start event. Although this is a first for Denver, similar events across the country have seen individuals clear their records. These are cases that can't advance because a person didn't show up to court, for example, so now there's a warrant for their arrest, she says. These would be people who have not been found guilty of anything and we just need to get these cases resolved. People might be named as defendants in a misdemeanor case that happened months or even years ago, but they're not arrested until the warrant comes up during a simple traffic stop. Police are supposed to arrest you for something that you may not even realize you had to tidy up with court two years ago. That's not a prospect we like. We want to resolve these cases and get them handled, Tyler concludes. PT's show club busted for allowing prostitution could lose licenses by Katie Cheshire. The performers at PT's show club at 1601 West Evans Avenue may have been doing a bit more than dancing in recent months, according to city documents. In order to show cause issued by the Denver Department of Excise and Licenses on July 3rd, outlines how the Denver Police Department conducted a sting operation at the RCI Hospitality-owned strip joint on March 31st and found that the establishment broke 10 different laws at the state and local levels related to prostitution and public indecency. The Denver City Attorney's Office requested that excise and licenses pursue disciplinary action against PTs after the DPD conducted its sting operation. The order to show cause says the investigation was spurred by an anonymous tip in January that employees of PT's show club were offering to perform sexual acts in exchange for money and that the younger dancers were actively pressured into having sexual intercourse for money by older members of the club. When an undercover officer went to the club as part of the sting, he was approached by a dancer who allegedly asked if he was a cop and then proceeded to offer him sex services. 
after a brief discussion during which the dancer asked the undercover officer whether he was in fact a police officer, the dancer offered and agreed to have sex with the officer in exchange for $600, recounts the show cause order. Upon reaching this agreement, the dancer indicated that they would have to move to a separate room inside the club in order to have sex. Asking if someone is a police officer can be considered evidence of soliciting prostitution. After the agreement was made, the undercover cop gave the bust signal and uniformed officers entered PTs to arrest the dancer for prostitution. While authorities were coming in, another stripper walked up to one of the cops and fondled his genitals without warning, leading to public indecency charges that were resolved by the city's attorney.